Welcome to the podcast of Trinity Presbyterian Church in Owasso, Oklahoma. Our passion is to show that grace changes everything in Jesus Christ by equipping you to rest in worship, grow in community, and rediscover your calling. To join our body in financial support of this ministry, visit our website at trinityowasso.com. As Nathan said, my name is Jonathan, and I'm glad to be back with you all. It's been a a little while, but this is, I think, either my fourth or fifth time to preach here at Trinity Owasso, and uh, I am very excited about what God is doing here at Trinity, uh, excited to see the new building, but more so what God is building in you as a community of faith. This morning, I'm going to be preaching from a book that uh, many preachers do not fear to tread in. But I did see on your website that Blake has actually preached from this book, so I was happy to see that. It is a little book uh, in the Old Testament, near the end of the Old Testament, called Zephaniah. And it is part of that last group of books in the Old Testament called the Minor Prophets. So you got the major prophets and then the minor prophets. And they're, they're called minor not because they're not important, but simply because most of the books in the Minor Prophets tend to be shorter than the Major Prophets. But Zephaniah, for example, has three chapters, but it packs a big punch. Um, the, the makers of the Bible Project, they declare this about Zephaniah. They say that Zephaniah contains some of the most intense images of justice and love of any of the prophets. It shows God's passion to rescue his world from human evil and violence in order to create a world where everyone can flourish in safety and peace. That's a good summary. And the structure of the book is that is basically two sections. The first two and a half chapters of the book are all about the bad news that the world is full of evil and that a holy God must deal with that evil. And in the last half chapter is about the good news. And we're going to read some of that good news this morning. So if you are able, would you please stand for this reading of God's word from Zephaniah chapter 3, starting in verse 14. Sing aloud, O daughter of Zion. Shout, O Israel. Rejoice and exult with all your heart, O daughter of Jerusalem. The Lord has taken away the judgments against you. He has cleared away your enemies. The King of Israel, the Lord, is in your midst. You shall never again fear evil. On that day it shall be said to Jerusalem, Fear not, O Zion. Let not your hands grow weak. The Lord your God is in your midst, a mighty one who will save. He will rejoice over you with gladness. He will quiet you by his love. He will exult over you with loud singing. I will gather those of you who mourn for the festival so that you will no longer suffer reproach. Behold, at that time I will deal with all your oppressors, and I will save the lame and gather the outcast, and I will change their shame into praise and renown in all the earth. At that time I will bring you in, at the time when I gather you together, for I will make you renowned and praised among all the peoples of the earth, when I restore your fortunes before your eyes, says the Lord. This is the word of the Lord. Amen. Please be seated. What is it about Hollywood that everyone there thinks that 
heaven is going to be boring. I want you to think about any movies or TV shows that you've seen that depict the afterlife or heaven. The ones that I've seen, they mostly fall into two categories. Either it is this sort of dreamy, sort of bland existence, or a bureaucracy. <laughs> I think of uh, 1979's uh, Heaven Can Wait, when Warren Beatty dies and he's immediately walking on clouds and he's directed into a line to get onto an airplane. Stay in line, don't get out of line. And then 1991's Defending Your Life, Albert Brooks dies and he finds himself in this place called Judgment City, which is a bureaucratic nightmare. And then 2020's Soul, the Pixar movie, where Jamie Foxx dies and he, he goes to a heaven that's both laid back and dreamy and a bureaucracy. I mean, is it any wonder that so many people are afraid of death? Because they're afraid that heaven is going to be boring. But if there is one thing that the Bible tells us about heaven, about God, is that it will not be boring. After all, how could a God who created stars and mountains and music and babies, how could he dwell in a place that is dull? He can't. In fact, when, whenever the, the biblical writers get a, a vision of the throne room of God of heaven, they are filled with awe and wonder. These verses in Zephaniah, they are a picture of God and his people in glory. And the first thing that God does in these verses is what we do at the beginning of every worship service. God invites you to delight and rejoice in him. Look at verses 14 to 15. Sing aloud, shout, rejoice, and exalt with all your heart. Why? Because the Lord has taken away the judgments against you. I have a friend who was told by his insurance company that he was being sued by someone that he had had a car accident with and that it was possible that not only would he, he be sued for what the insurance company could cover but also maybe for what he was worth and might take all of his savings away and for a whole year my friend lived with the dread of what might happen that this, that a judge or a jury could find in favor of his adversary and ruin his financial future. And after that year, when his insurance company finally told him that, hey, the case is settled, you're in the clear, he said he's never felt so relieved in all of his life. He threw a party, a case is closed party for our community group. Now, this is essentially what God is inviting us to do. The, now, the first two and a half chapters, as I mentioned earlier, of Zephaniah are about the day of the Lord. The day when the Lord comes in power. And for Zephaniah's audience, the day of the Lord was very close Although those, some of them didn't realize it. In fact, it's just 50 years after Zephaniah writes this book, 
after he prophesies, uh, the nation of Babylon is going to come and they're going to conquer Israel's army and they're going to destroy Jerusalem and destroy the temple and they're going to take many of the people of Israel to Babylon, to what we call exile. This was, to use a contemporary analogy, a little bit like 9-11 but times 10. A catastrophic event in the life of the nation of Israel. The day of the Lord. When he sends, actually God says that he sends the nation of Babylon to confront his people. Now, was the nation, the day of the Lord just back then? No, we find out in the rest of the Bible that there is also a coming day of the Lord for us. And that we too, some of us, are not aware that it is coming and may be coming soon and we need to prepare for it. Because that day of the Lord is when Jesus is going to return. And that is the day, that it will be the final day of human history. When God will judge the living and the dead. When all our secrets will be told. And we'll be judged for the way that we've lived our lives. And for the guilty, the day of the Lord is the worst day imaginable. And all of us are guilty. But the good news, I've talked about two days of the Lord. There was also a third day of the Lord that happened between the Babylonian exile and the final day. And that is Good Friday. Because on Good Friday, that was the day when Jesus was crucified for us. That was the day that Christ took our sins on himself and he was judged in our stead. And the only way that we can escape from eternal judgment is to put our faith in him. See, without Jesus, you would have to answer for every sin that you ever committed on the day of the Lord. Every uh, lie that you've told, every lustful or hateful thought you've ever had, every last sin must be paid for. And it was on the cross. And now God says that he has taken the judgments away that were against you. And what should our reaction to that news be? It should be exaltation, delight, rejoicing. We should throw a cases closed party. We should sing aloud, shout, rejoice, and exalt with all your heart. When was, let me ask you this. When was the last time that you did that? You rejoiced with all your heart. Maybe this last New Year's Eve? Oh, 2021's finally done. Maybe it was the last time your team won a championship? Well, let me ask you this. Why is it that we don't worship with all our hearts? Why don't we rejoice and delight and exalt with all our hearts? The one who saved us. Is it because we're Presbyterians and we must do everything decently and in order? Well, God is here is saying that it is decent and definitely in order to sing aloud, to rejoice and delight in him and his saving work. Now some people have asked the question, why, why does God demand that we worship him? 
mean, why is he constantly wanting us to worship him? Isn't that, isn't that kind of narcissistic of him? To need to always be worshipped? Well, let, let me say a couple of things. The first thing that I would say is what John Piper likes to say. And that is that we were made to worship. And if God were to encourage us to worship and delight in anything else more than him, that would not only be irrational, because he is the highest good, the highest joy, it would also be idolatry. Putting something in his place. But the other thing to say in the answer to this question of why does God want us to worship him so much is that you celebrate what you love and enjoy, don't you? I mean, it's, it's natural. When you go to a new restaurant and it's, we have a wonderful meal, what do you do? You start telling people. You can, maybe you get on Yelp and you give a five-star review. You, you start talking about it. Right? When I, when I see what I think is going to be the best movie of the year, I start telling people. Last year, I, I was all year, all the second half of the year, have you seen the movie Pig? We just, we want to celebrate. Talking about it, praising it, is part of the experience of enjoying it. And when God calls you to worship, he's calling you to delight in him and to enjoy him. Because guess what? He also delights and rejoices in you. Verses 16 and 17 in this chapter. They make up one of the most beautiful passages in the whole Bible. In fact, I would say one of the most beautiful things ever written in any text, in any language. In verse 16, Zephaniah starts by telling the people to fear not. Again, even though the first two and a half chapters of the book are all about God's fierce anger about evil and his threat to sweep everything off the face of the earth, here he says, you, you my people do not have to be afraid of that. Fear not. Why? Because God is with you. He's with you. He's in your midst. And he is determined to save. And not only determined, he is able because he is the mighty one who can do anything that he wants to do. And he wants to save you. And, but God is not just mighty and powerful. He is also tender. And he's not shy with his emotions. He rejoices over you with gladness. Now, it's funny how we greet people and how our friends greet us, isn't it? I have different friends who greet me, greet me different ways. Some of them, you know, give the little head nod. Some of them a smile. Some of them, hey, what's up? And then I have a friend who likes to chant my name. Dors, 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 dors. But my favorite greeting of all time was when I was in college, I had a friend named Michael. And every time he'd see me, he'd throw his head back and he'd say, Dorscht. He'd even add letters at the end. <laughs> I loved it. And it, because it, it's so great when a friend is so happy to see us. Is it humbling to think that God is delighted to see me. He is delighted to be with me. He rejoices over you with gladness. And then he goes on. What else does God do? He will quiet you with his love. 
when you were a kid and you had nightmares and you suddenly were afraid of what might be in the closet? What's the only thing that could calm you down? Mom or dad coming in and, and taking you up in their arms saying, it's okay. I'm here. I'm going to protect you. Quieting you with their love. That is God is that kind of father. And then the kicker, he will exalt over you with loud singing. Now over and over in the Bible, we are commanded to sing to the Lord. To sing a new song, to praise the Lord with a loud song. But here we find out that it goes both ways. Not only do we sing to God, but he sings over us. He is a singing God. How crazy is that, that God is so moved with love for me that he bursts out with song. He will exalt over you with loud singing. Now, when will all this singing and rejoicing happen? Certainly when we get to heaven, but it's also a reality now. God's joy is not just a future emotion. It's present. I was leading, a, uh, I was leading singing uh, at a Bible study a couple months ago, and it was a, I was teaching a new song, and it's called, He Will Hold Me Fast. And there's a line in that song that says this. It says, those he saves are his blank. What do you think is the end of that phrase? Those he saves are his responsibility? Those he saves are his burden, his lucky sinners. No, no, no. When I sang this the first time, I had to catch my breath to stop from getting pretty emotional. Because what it says is those he saves are his delight. We are his delight. Jesus doesn't save us because he has to. Because he feels obligated. We are his delight. We're what bring him joy. I love what Charles Spurgeon says. He says this, Believer, you are happy when God blesses you, but not as happy as God is. You are glad when you are pardoned, but he who pardons you is more glad. The prodigal son come back to his home, was very happy to see his father, but not as delighted as his father was to see him. The father's heart was more full of joy because his heart was larger than his son's. <laughs> that is so true of God. What we delight in, he delights in even more. Unfortunately, almost none of us really believe that. <laughs> none of us really believe that God delights in us. But if we really believed it, that would lead to an incredible, to real freedom. Now, what is true freedom? Well, first of all, it is to let go of our fear of death. Fear not, God says. Let me let you in a little secret. Almost everyone you know is afraid of death. It keeps us up at night. It keeps us from being courageous. It keeps us from thinking deeply about the most important things in life. It even sort of keeps us from really living. 
There's that great quote from Braveheart. All men live, but not all men truly die. Or all men die, not all men truly live. That's the quote. I don't think William Wallace really said that, but it's a great, it's, it's a true sentiment, isn't it? Why? Because we're afraid of dying. And the reason that we're afraid is either fear of the unknown or fear that we're going to get what we deserve in the next life. But if you are in Christ, what awaits you is a singing, rejoicing God who's delighted to welcome you into his kingdom. I love how C.S. Lewis puts in The Last Battle that when we die, we will realize that we were part of a story and that this life was just the title page and the cover. And in the next life, we will begin chapter one of the great story that no one has ever read in which every chapter is better than the one before. But we also get a hint of what true freedom looks like in verse 19. God says, I will change their shame, he's talking about his people, into praise and renown in all the earth. And then he, he almost pretty much repeats it in verse 20. I will make you renowned and praised among all the peoples of the earth. Isn't that an interesting promise? You know, we, I think we spend so much time trying to win people's praise, trying to prove that we're worthy of some praise, some affirmation, adoration. But God says, the only praise that really matters is mine. And you have my delight. You have my praise. But not only that, in the end, I will make it so that the whole world praises you. Isn't that fascinating? Somehow, being a child of God, being tied in with God's glory, brings us glory. No matter what people think of you now, in the last day, in the final judgment, they will praise you as an overcomer in Christ, as a king and priest in the eternal kingdom of God. And if you can bring that future truth into your present reality, you will be free in ways that you have never imagined. You can stop trying to impress people. <laughs> you can stop living for their praise. I have a friend who years ago gambled away most of his family savings on betting on football and basketball. And when his wife found out, she was understandably furious because this was actually the second time he'd done it. And he came to me afraid that his wife was going to leave him and kind of thinking maybe she should, but that then he'd be all alone. And I asked him, I said, do, do you have any friends that can walk through this with you? And he said, no, I really don't. And I said, why not? After some hemming and hawing, he said, well, I guess I'm afraid that if anybody got really close to me, that they'd, they'd be, if they really knew me, that they'd be appalled. Mm. Now, there was a, a lot of things I could have said in that moment, but what he really needed to hear was that the Lord your God is in your midst. That he knows you, every part of you, and yet he delights in you. He rejoices over you with gladness and exalts over you with loud singing. 
And if God is for us, who can be against us? Let's pray. Our Father, we can scarcely we can scarcely really understand what this text is telling us about you. We can scarcely even dare to dream the kind of love that flows from you that is pictured in this passage. And yet we know it is true because you sent your son to become one of us, to take on our burdens, to take on our sin, and to die for us and to give us his righteousness. And that is a breathtaking work of love. Father, we pray that you would cause these truths to get rooted deep, deep into our hearts. That as we come to know your love, that it would change us, that it would make us more loving to others, uh, more and more hateful of our sin and able to put it to death and more and more longing for the day when we will be with you face to face and know your love in full of which now we only know in part but we await that day with joy and with hope and with faith in the name of Christ our Savior we pray Amen Thank you for listening to our podcast if you would like more information or would like to help support the local body of Trinity, please visit our website at trinityowasso.com.